Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from the Azamara Pursuit as we're sailing from Southampton in England all the way literally around the bend and up into Norway and Scandinavia on board their new Pursuit. Uh, joining me now, I'm honored to be with the captain of this ship, Captain Carl Smith. And I can almost ask every captain of every ship, so I want to ask you, this is not your first ship. Uh, no, I've uh, actually been at sea for 28 years now. What was your first ship? It was a shallow oil tanker called the Eberna. I joined it when I was 16 years old in Venezuela. Wow. That's a, that's a history. It's a long time ago now. Yeah, and by the way, when you're on one of those tankers, you're not just showing up at a port. You're waiting to get into the port. <laughs> it was Well, I was 16 uh, when I joined my first ship, and uh, it was quite an experience. I grew up a farm boy, and at 16, I flew out to Venezuela. I joined this ship uh, where uh, I had to work sort of 15, 16 hours a day in a man's job. It was quite an experience. And then? So I spent seven years with Shell. Uh, I passed all my exams with Shell. I passed my third officer's exams, second officer's exams, then chief officer, which is second in command. 
Uh, from there, I moved on to ferries closer to home. I worked uh, for the Isle of Man Steam Packet. I'm from the Isle of Man, so that wow. was something. Were these roll-on, roll-off? or They had a selection of different yeah. ferries, so roll-on, roll-off. Uh, we had high-speed craft, uh, some of them doing 37 knots. And you were operating in seas. were not always friendly. The Irish Sea is very rarely friendly. I know. <laughs> and then... So from there, I uh, I did a variety of things. I worked for Fife's and Banana Boats, uh, bringing bananas from Suriname to the UK. Uh, then in 1999, so 10 years after I started, I passed my captain's license and I started working on passenger ships. And what was your first passenger ship? It was a German ship called the Albatross. Interesting title. Um, well, the Germans don't have the same traditions as we do, so uh, this was called the Albatross because they travel. Um, <laughs> it was... Uh, one of the oldest ships afloat at the time, um, but that was my first passenger vessel. And then? i got, I got to get the whole history here. Okay, so uh, I worked uh, for several smaller lines, uh, working through uh, a variety of positions. I had to start at the bottom again when I was uh, joined passenger ships. I worked my way back up to second in command, uh, on actually on this ship. On this ship? On this ship. When, when it was it, a Renaissance ship? Just briefly afterwards. Uh, after the bankruptcy, the company that took this ship were called Swan Hellenic. Which was part of P&O at that point. Yes, P&O had just bought Swan Hellenic. This was the Minerva. This was the Minerva too. Oh, I was on that ship. And I started it. Oh, my God. And by the way, the Minerva uh, basically boasted that it didn't have a casino. It had a huge library. (laughs) It was probably the, the best educated vessel afloat. And the most educated passengers. Yes. They really wanted to learn. The, the, the whole concept of that ship was uh, cruising and education. Uh, it worked very well. It did. And then, and then this ship, speaking of that, so this ship started out as a Renaissance ship? It was the R8. Yep. As built. For a very brief period of time. Yeah, I think something like six months. And then that, sh- that company went bankrupt. They, they built eight brand new ships, all very similar. And then they went bankrupt after 9-11. Nobody was traveling. And then that ship became the Minerva. Became the Minerva Two, and then, then the Royal Princess, then the Adonia, and the Adonia. Uh, we just did a story on them about a year and a half ago because they were the first U.S.-based cruise line uh, given permission to sail into Cuba. That's correct, and I think the second ship was the Azamara Quest. Yes, and then it became part of the Royal Caribbean fleet as an Azamara ship. Well, we bought this ship in March. Um, we bought it from PNO uh, in international waters. We took the ship to dry dock, we did a full inspection, and we actually took the management of it earlier in March this year. And this is its first cruise as a uh, as an Azamara ship? So we spent four months in Belfast under refit, and this is our maiden voyage. Amazing. And the cool thing about this ship, as opposed to banana boats or the Shell oil tankers, is that you really make a conscious effort of spending some extra nights in port. Yes. Uh, with Azamara Club Cruises, we spend more time in port, I would say, than any other cruise line, including overnights, late departures. Uh, we're normally the first ship into port in the morning and the last ship to sail. I mean, Oslo was great, 24 hours. Yeah, full 24 hours in Oslo, including an overnight. Uh, so it was nice. A lot of our guests got to go offshore and experience the Akabruke in the evening. Beautiful place. It is. And the one thing that I know has changed since you started on the cruise ships, we're not talking about seven-day Caribbean cruises anymore. We're talking over a 1,000 ports of call. Uh, here with this little company, we've got three ships. I think we're hitting close to 300 different ports of call in, in a year. That's the nice thing about this ship. It's not too big. You can get into a lot of ports that other ships don't go to, right? You're more maneuverable. Uh, we're, I wouldn't say we're more maneuverable, but the, the, the vessel's dimensions lend, uh, lend it to uh, 
calling into smaller ports of call. Uh, the large ships simply could not come alongside on this berth. Exactly. And that gives you more options. It gives us many more options. We can fit everywhere that the big ships can. Um, but also on top of that, we can get into little places like Seville in Spain, which is 50 miles up river. Uh, we go 72 miles up uh, the river into Bordeaux, uh, where we overnight as well. You better uh, overnight in Bordeaux. Oh, we, we overnight in Bordeaux. <laughs> We're there three days and two nights as, as a rule. Uh, we can berth in Monaco, in Nice, uh, there are tiny little ports around the Mediterranean where we just fit perfectly. I know. And you don't need a tug. You got the th- you have the thrusters, so... Very rarely use tugs. Ship is maneuverable. Um, it's really only if the weather is very bad that we would require a tug. If it's simply a matter of space, we can do it all on our own. In your experience on this ship, uh, this is a ship that's 19 years old. It's had five or six different names, at least five or six different owners. It feels like a new ship. We spend a lot of money on it. <laughs> we spend a lot of money on it. So uh, the the idea was to bring it up to the same level as the sister vessels, the Azamara Quest and the Azamara Journey, which have been very well maintained for the last 11 years, uh, and they have had successive upgrades. So when we took this vessel, it had not had the same level of investment, either in the upgrades or in the maintenance. Uh, it took us four months and some $50 million dollars to bring the ship up to where the sister vessels are. Wow. But mechanically, it was sound. Mechanically, it was sound. We, we've done a lot of work downstairs uh, in the engine room, a lot of work. Um, there were some little bits down there that were better than the sister ships, uh, but there was a lot which needed some work. So now that's all been brought up to speed. It's all good now. Is there a port that you won't go to? Oh, there's a question. Um, no. Uh, I will take the ship pretty much anywhere. I will do uh, due diligence on the research, um, but providing it's safe, no, I don't have an issue with anywhere. In your experience, and this goes beyond Azamara yeah. at this point, what would you say was your most challenging port? One port. Uh, there are some of the areas of the world which are very difficult to, to navigate in, um, but that normally means that I'm having fun. Because uh, you I, actually get the drive. I, I enjoy the navigation. Norway is uh, challenging, not the most challenging. Then you have the, the fjords and uh, down in South America, around Chile, Argentina. That's also very challenging. In and out of uh, the islands and the inland sea in Japan, uh, running the ship. I've done the, inland, I've done the inland sea in Japan. It's amazing. It is amazing. The currents in that area are very strong. Uh, and you wouldn't expect it. Nobody does until they go yeah, there. Yeah. And then, of course, we take the ship into Shanghai. We go all the way up to the Bund in Shanghai. Uh, an incredible feat of navigation. So you actually go into the Wangpu River? We do. That's we do. unusual. Yeah. So it's, I think it's something like uh, 68 miles up the Yellow River, and then we turn left and head south. I have to tell you, I've done that cruise, and when you leave, whether you're leaving during the daytime or at night, you're passing one of the largest navies in the world. The, the, and they're there. The, you see all their ships. Well, you see not only the, the naval vessels, but the commercial ships, the commercial tonnage, which is anchored outside Shanghai. Just waiting, waiting to get in. It, it can be 15, 20 miles of ship after ship after ship. I mean, that reminds me of, of Alexandria in Egypt. Oh, probably 100 times more so. Really? More so. Amazing. Amazing. So where will you take the ship this year? This year, our maiden voyage to Norway. You're on it right now. Right. Uh, our next cruise goes around Iceland. Uh, then uh, we have uh, our inaugural cruise. We're calling it our Naaman Ceremony Cruise, which just runs from Southampton into Cherbourg in France. And back again, it's a little two-day cruise. From there, we're heading south into the Mediterranean. We'll do the whole Mediterranean. We come out, sail across the Atlantic through Miami, the Panama Canal, all the way down the west coast of South America, 
Uh, I'll be on vacation for most of that. I join the ship again in Buenos Aires just before Christmas. And uh, the beginning of next year, we're heading down to Antarctica. Now, we're, uh, so is this an ice-class ship? No, we're not an ice-class ship. Uh, the, the trick to navigating in those waters is uh, don't hit anything. <laughs> is that a nautical term you just gave me, don't hit anything? It's about the truth of the matter. We will be polar classed at that stage. Yeah. Uh, all my officers and indeed myself were undergoing uh, polar navigation training in the next uh, few weeks and few months. Uh, the ship is being prepared with all of the additional safety equipment it requires. But we will be fully polar classed, not ice classed by the time we get down there. Wow. That'll be fun. I've been down once before, 11 years ago on the Azamara journey. It was amazing. And you made it through the Drake Passage intact. Drake Passage, um, you pay your money and you take your chances. That area <laughs> is uh, probably the known for the worst weather in the world. The last time I was down there, it was beautiful. You got lucky. I got. I tend to get lucky. I'm, I'm sailing with you. <laughs> oh. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. safe to say that I call myself an explorer and a traveler, but my next guest is truly an explorer and a traveler because this man is, uh, I mean, we're, we have to figure out, we have to get into his mind to figure out exactly why, where, and how because uh, my hat is off to him as, as well as other body parts. Uh, his name is uh, Fian Paul. He is an explorer and athlete, but you have rode, sir. It's, it's amazing to meet you. How many places have you rode? Um, all the major oceans. Uh, all four of them. I mean, all four of the so far road by uh, whoever, yes. Uh, so you've done the Atlantic? Atlantic. Pacific? Pacific and Indian and the Arctic. Wow. At, by yourself? Uh, each time in a team, uh, but the team changes each time. I am the only person who rode all of them. Right. And how long, let's just start with the Atlantic, mm -hmm. right? How big, first of all, how big is the boat? The boat is around 10 meters long. So 30 be, feet? Yeah, more or less. I mean, ours in particular was 11, but some are even 9 or less, depending on the size of the boat and the size of the crew, the design of the boat. And so... Fiberglass? Or all sorts of people use fiberglass. They use um, uh, some some older boats are still uh, plywood, and um, some are aluminium. I mean, all sorts of depending on. But let's let's call it what it is: mm -hmm. a thirty foot long boat and a big big ocean is a small boat. That's correct. <laughs> uh, it's a very small boat, and, and, and you don't have radar. Um, you have basic AIS, <clears throat> but it's not uh, strong as, um, as as properly called radar. But it does allow you to communicate and avoid collisions. Obviously, without it, we wouldn't be allowed to set off. And um, it does its job, let's say. And yet, for example, today, we're, we're in the ocean right now, and it's a beautiful, calm sea. That's correct. Uh, something that you would love to see right i would love to see <laughs> when i'm rowing but i'm not often that privileged uh, and of course we choose uh, routes that are uh, aligned with the weather patterns because it's very difficult to go completely against it uh, sometimes I, you don't have a choice sometimes i don't have a choice on the arctic ocean we were going 60 percent of the time against uh, the weather which oh. was the biggest battle probably ever and and that 
also validates the effort uh, that we make. Of course. Because you can drift on the ocean, but you can also uh, row through uh, hardships of it. So let me ask a couple of questions. First, how long did it take you to do the Arctic? There were two uh, expeditions combined, and the first took nine days, and the second took 13 days. That's actually shorter than I thought. Yes, because it was with a, a absolutely record-breaking speed. We broke the uh, sp- Arctic Ocean overall speed record by three and a half times. That wow. would mean that if we did it by the old standards, it would have been not 22 days, but uh, 70 days. Wow. Yes. So, so how fast were you going? We were going 2.7 knots and keeping now, in mind... By the way, 2.7 knots doesn't sound fast, but to sustain that speed is pretty amazing. Well, if we keep in mind that the previous record was 0.7 knots, that yeah. was the biggest uh, record-breaking achievement in the history of the sport. No kidding. Okay, now really impressed me, the Atlantic. Uh, Atlantic, 32 days. Oh, 32 days. <laughs> right. Uh, but we... And how many hours a day? I'm, I'm asking silly questions here, but how many hours a day are you actually rowing? We are actually rowing all the time but because we are uh, alternating shifts uh, we row half time each so uh, two hours on two hours off is the typical pattern so 12 hours a day is the norm wow so uh, now you know one of your specialties of course is psychology that's correct you have to get into a mindset you have to get into an amazing mindset to be able to concentrate and not wander and not get crazy uh, that's one thing. Uh, what do you think about when you're out there? I think it is more about uh, maintaining your um, functionality, not even thinking about anything in particular, because every of your uh, resistant thresholds is crossed long ago, and you have to keep going. So it's more like just holding on. There are beautiful days where you can sort of drift in your mind and think about something, but there are days when you just have to keep focused on goal and keep going. I I have to tell you, if I put myself in your position on that small boat, I would probably become delirious in about a day. Maybe not in about a day, but typically delirium comes after a few days. That's correct. I have experienced it on every single road. You have? Yes, because of the uh, the amount of effort and the amount of sleep deprivation. And uh, um, that's pretty a norm. Um, af- but it wouldn't come sooner than after a few days. Yeah, it needs to. But it's get- coming. But it's there. Yes, it's there. It's there. And the scary nature of delirium is that you cannot easily distinguish it from reality. So I have um, a lot of friends like that. <laughs> and they're not rowing. <laughs> well, that's the point. It is. But still, you know it's coming, so how do you fight against it? We, you basically go along with it as long as you don't do anything stupid, uh, stupid or wrong. It's fine. It's have, fine. You ever, have you ever been scared? Yes, I've been scared many times for many reasons, uh, not only uh, delirium, but also uh, the natural phenomenon or animals. So whale lifted our boat once, uh, walrus came close to our boat. Mm, we were in severe delirium. I've been uh, on the edge of uh, making some major mistakes. And uh, um, so I definitely, I'm scared each time. I mean, if I had no fear at all, it would be... Um, uh, rather against in, 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 yes. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger.
Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Every ship has people who work on the ship who tell interesting stories, who bring a different thing to the party. And of course, uh, <laughs> one of them is always the cruise director. Uh, one of them is always the show, the show runner uh, and chief storyteller. Joining me now, the cruise director on this ship, Amanda Polson. How are you? Hello, very and well. And if truth be told, I just discovered this, a Madison, Wisconsin native. And we always shout out to Madison, Wisconsin, because of course I went to school there. But that has no bearing at all <laughs> on the fact that she's on the show. I just discovered that. <laughs> Go Badgers. Yeah. How has the role of cruise director, I remember when I took my first cruise back in the 70s, you know, that was still in the age of the love boat, that was still in the age of first and second seating, that was still in the age of you had a juggler on the boat and you had one Broadway show review and that was it. Things have changed. Very much, yes. Especially here on Azamara, the role of cruise director, we also are performers. That's part of our background. We have to have our own show that we do throughout the cruise. We also, um, usually we're singers. We sing throughout the events, so we're part of the live music So you are a singing set. cruise director. I am a singing cruise director. My background is as a production show singer. That's how I started at sea. And when did you start singing? I started singing as a very small child back in Madison, Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin. I knew we'd have to come full circle back yep, in Madison. Yeah, absolutely. Did and the high school musicals and worked my. I got my degree in music from University of Wisconsin as well. All right. Well, now that you're a Badger, you can stay <laughs> on the show. Uh, and you sing on the show, but you also sing back in Madison, don't you? I do. Yes, when I get the chance, I uh, I'm actually going to be doing a show back home after this contract. Um, but I sing. I just was home and did the uh, UW band show this year. And for those fun. of you who don't know, the UW band is probably the best. College band in America. Definitely. And if you ever attended a Big Ten football game at Camp Randall Stadium mm-hmm. in Madison, you're in for a treat whether the Badgers win or lose because, uh, and back, by the way, when I went to Madison, we never won. We had the worst record ever. We went like 0 14. Um, and yet, we all stayed after the game for the fifth quarter, yep. which is when the band performed, and we knew that was always going to be a winner. Absolutely. It's still going strong. Yeah. And now, of course, we're winning, <laughs> and we have a winning band, so there's another reason to go. But back then, the only reason to go was the band. (laughs) It's true. So what are you singing on the ship? Uh, The show that I do here is uh, a a combination. I do some classical music, some classic uh, musical theater, some contemporary Broadway. It's just sort of a songs that everyone likes to hear kind of a show. But your challenge as a cruise director is not to sing. Your challenge as a cruise director is to keep it all going. Keep it all going. Make sure everyone is having a great time, that they've got great entertainment, that they have fun activities, uh, and to essentially host the ship. What's your biggest challenge, though? Wow. That's a very good question. Uh, My biggest challenge right now is um, I have stepped into the shoes of cruise director. I am uh, the assistant cruise director, so I am currently filling in. Um, My role is is to assist, and then I'm supposed to step up. So uh, now you're doing everything. I'm doing everything, yes. Yeah, our cruise director, unfortunately, had to have emergency surgery. Ah. Yes. Well, let's let's, and I hope he gets better. Oh, yeah, he's doing doing just fine. He's just resting and recovering from eyes. Got it. Well, let's talk about challenges. I mean, I, I used to laugh about the stupidest questions ever asked by cruise ship passengers. Oh, there's some great ones. I mean, the ones that I remember, of course, are, you know, like, what time is the midnight buffet? Mm-hmm. Or do the waiters sleep on board? Oh, yes. Right? Do these stairs go up or down? I have actually heard that question. The one that I always loved is the woman who walked out on deck and saw the pool and said, was there salt water or fresh water in the pool? And they said, oh, it's salt water. And she says, oh, that explains why it's, why it's like sloshing around. <laughs> That was a good one. 
The best one of all was not a stupid question. It was a stupid comment. Mm. I was uh, 20 years ago on the inaugural cruise of the Grand Princess, which was built in Italy uh, for Princess, and we were sailing as the inaugural cruise into Venice. And this ship towered over everything in Venice. It was, it was just a little scary. I mean, we're, we're higher than the, you know, than the tower in St. Mark's Square. So beautiful. And, but as we're coming in, very slowly into the, into the harbor, these two little blue-haired ladies were standing on the deck, and they had their guidebook open. And one looks to the other and goes, I didn't know they had a doggy palace here. Oh, my goodness. I wonder what kind of dog. Oh, the yeah, dog. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The doge's palace. Oh. They, just, what kind of doggies do you think they have in that palace? Oh. I want to go see those. You think they have poodles? You think they have dachshunds? I'm like sitting there going, I do not believe this. And, they, and I, I didn't have the heart to tell them. I just couldn't do it. That's fantastic. I'm going to retell that story. That's it's a, it's brilliant. A, it's an absolutely true story. You know, the question that we, we do get a lot is, do people actually live on board? And it sounds like a silly question, but I went on a cruise while I was in rehearsals, and I thought to myself, do these, do they, does everyone actually live on board? Because I'd, I'd never worked on board. And it is a very natural question to ask, because when you look around at how many people are working at the housekeeping staff, the bar teams, the entertainment teams, it almost seems impossible that there could be that many people behind the scenes making everything happen. I found myself having the exact same reaction on my first cruise. But you've now figured that out, haven't Absolutely. you? Absolutely, there's a whole world that is behind the scenes. That is, it's really an amazing system. I think, I mean, I'm a big back of the house fan. I, you know, I love process. So if kids, t if you ask kids where food comes from, they tell you the store, I have a problem with that. I think that cruises would, the cruise lines would be better off at least inviting some of their key passengers downstairs into the crew galley and, and to hang out, because you guys have the best parties anyway. Oh, well, there's that, yeah. But yeah what the, about we there's that? The, you, you have the but best But the parties. mechanics behind the scenes are yeah. really amazing. We do, here on Azamar, we do offer, uh, there, is, there are tours that people can take that will take you through the galley, through the crew mess that takes you down what we call the I-95, which is right. the main corridor that everything moves back and forward on the ship that's behind the scenes. But right. it is, it's an amazing machine working Do passengers it. get to eat in the crew galley? No. Never? I don't think so. Not I mean, it may good. have happened, and I don't know about it, but... Because you got the best food down there. We do have great food. They take very good care of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because what people don't realize, this is what most people don't realize, what's your contract? You're here, how, how, you're on, it's not like you go home every weekend. No, no, no. People sign on, it, depending on what job they're doing. Is uh, it there like are three, mo three months on, on, six months on? Some people have contracts. I, I've had contracts when I was in the production cast that were eight months on board. With no days off. The production cast has a lighter schedule, but there are some people who are here for six months with no days off. Yeah, it's, there's, there's always something happening. And on turnaround day, people sign off the ship and go home and they think, oh, now they get a break. But the second everyone leaves, we turn everything around and we set sail again the next night with a whole new group of passengers. So it's a continuous machine. It's really, really amazing. Uh, you have to have a certain mindset in order to do this job then because, you know, it's not like you get to go home at night. No, but we do. And especially I have noticed here with my years at Azamara, it really and truly is a family. The crew, everyone knows everyone's name. Everyone knows. By the way, that could a be a bad thing. Oh, no. No, it's what it's what it's one of the things that I love the most about here is when I sign on board. Hello, Amanda. Good to see you, Amanda. And it's not because of the ro role that I have on board. It is because we all know each other and care about each other and look out for each other. Now, 
before you did this job, you'd never been to sea, really, right? Never. I'd never been on a cruise until I started working at sea. Wow. And you've, adop- you've adapted okay? I did my first contract, went home, sold my house, put all my stuff that was personal in a storage unit, and never looked back. I, I love it at sea. So when you do go home, where do you go home to? Well, my parents are still in Madison, so that's always my Good first choice. stop. Yes. I go get my deep fried cheese curds. My sister's in Appleton, <laughs> so I go up there and visit her, and then I kind of bounce around the country visiting all the people that I don't get to see because I I work on a ship. And then when I'm done visiting all my friends and family, it's time to go back to work. So essentially you're homeless. Yes. (laughs) I just want to make sure we got this covered. Right now my home is the beautiful Azamara Pursuit, so I'm doing okay. Right, but but (laughs) bottom line is if somebody wants to mail you a letter, where do they send it? They can send it through crew mail, but it'll take a while to get to me. So luckily we have email. That's the main way that I communicate. Or, yeah, but that's it. That's it, yep. Wow. It's a strange and wonderful way to live your life. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Your family's back in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Are you single, married? I have a boyfriend. He lives in Canada. Wait a second, but he's not here. He's not here, no. This is a truly long-distance relationship. Yes, yes. He will be coming to visit the ship in September. And where did you meet him? I met him on a ship. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that was coming. Yeah, Yeah. he and I worked together on the Allure of the Seas. Oh, for Royal Caribbean. For Royal Caribbean. Which is actually the parent corporation Mm -hmm. of Azamara. Yep. Wow, see, so there are benefits here. Oh, absolutely. And and, and he gets to cruise with you? Yes, he he does. Wow. wonderful. And and what does he do? Uh, When I met him on the ship, he was a scuba diving instructor, and now he's a wildland firefighter. Woo! Yeah, so oh. he's off the grid as well right now. So oh, yeah, well, they're, I'm sure they're very busy right yes. now. Yes, mm-hmm. it's it's been a tough, very tough year for everybody. Yeah. What's the one thing that people should know before they ever take a cruise? I think there, as you said, there's a great misconception about cruising. There's some people have it's a, a that sort of '70s love boat mentality, and it really is a wonderful way to travel that is far more modern than I think people realize. The the food is on par with top restaurants that you'll find in any vacation destination. And especially with Azamara, some people think, oh, if I'm going to go visit a place, I don't want to go by cruise ship because you only get a few hours. We pull in. We stay. We have overnights. I have seen... You see, that's, that's the one thing I have to say you guys get a big kudo from me on because I don't really like the idea of the traditional seven-day Caribbean cruise where, you know, you're in at eight in the morning, you're, you're gone at five. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't... You, you can't catch your breath. Yep. Uh, we go to Oslo on this trip and we're going to overnight. We're going to be there 24 hours, which is like cool. Yep. You know, you get to hang out. We really... Our goal on SMR is the destination immersion and it is a wonderful way. You can unpack once... You, have a, you know you've got a beautiful roof over your head, but you're going to get out and see amazing destinations. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Joining me now, someone who's been on these ships for how many years? Well, I guess if I'm counting, well, 24. 24 He's the hotel director who's got the second most challenging job on the ship, I think. Uh, Richard Guzman, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Thank How you. How long have you me. been with Azamara now? Well, since day number one, I was privileged to to open Azamara Journey in 2007, and since then, yeah, here I am. I'm still here. And before, I love the genealogy. And before then, and before then, I worked for uh, bigger ships for bigger companies uh, like Celebrity Cruise Line, Royal Caribbean, and then uh, before that. Um, 
The big red ships. Big red ships, exactly. So uh, Premier Cruise Lines. I Premier Cruise Line, yeah. The Oceanic and famous Atlantic I was working on. And those on. ships are no longer with us. I think they've been broken up. Unfortunately, yes. yes. When Disney showed up with the beautiful ships. Uh, they put well, them out of business. Put them out of business, yes. Exactly. But what, what's distinguishing Azamara is your smaller ships, uh, you're going to different ports, you have a different approach to those ports because you're spending some overnights, which is really great. Right? That's great advantage of it, yes. But let's talk about the interior of the ships because that's really your baby in terms of the hotel aspect of the ships, right? That's correct. What are you doing different on this ship? What we do different on the ship, well, you know, based on my experience, what I've seen in the past and what we're doing here, we're very much uh, paying attention to details, and that will be with everything from interior, uh, from the cleanliness uh, to service. So basically, we're very much out there uh, with the guests. Uh, we, we're spending lots of time with the guests. We're basically facing guests every day. So there's no hiding here. We are too small to hide. But um, that's a big difference between being on a smaller ship or bigger ship. Uh, the, basically, the frequency of seeing guests here and on the bigger ships is much, much bigger. But it's also, if you take a look at what guests spend their time doing on a cruise ship, at least one-third of the time is eating. That will be that will be my uh, my guess too. But um, our concept is slightly different. Well, of course, the eating still. But <laughs> our concept is to make sure that we uh, provide with the destinations, so they spend more time actually ashore uh, than to being on a ship. But of course, we are like small boutique floating hotel that they coming back to and have a nice meal at the end of the day. And speaking of that meal, when you're in certain ports, you can locally source stuff that you couldn't get anywhere else. Well, I'm the happiest, I think, hotel director ever because they gave me a budget, imagine, to actually spend money. And I love to spend money. I usually say that about my wife, but I, I love to spend money, too. Um, it is great, actually, privilege to work for them because for Azamara Cruise Line, just because there is actually budget to daily go outside and uh, source for the fresh uh, fresh products. Today you have an example of being in Norway. We're taking advantage of the fresh market, fish market. We're buying um, smoked salmon, we're buying oysters that will be presented and uh, of course served to the guests this evening. And, you know, we talk about smoked salmon in the States. There's a difference between smoked salmon in the States and smoked salmon here. They really smoke it here. I think they do. And you have uh, two types of smoked salmon here in Norway, uh, cold smoke and hot smoke, um, which is a big difference, by the way, if you have a chance to, to compare these two. But like I said, this is a fresh source. This is the source you want to get salmon from. And you can taste the difference immediately. I, I would definitely say yes. I mean, I hate to use these two words, but it's true like butter. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I would even call it melt in your mouth, definitely, because that's so smooth and so, so nice to eat that, you know, yeah, you don't feel it. Almost as butter. In your experience as a hotel director on this and other ships, what's been the biggest change in passenger demand? What are they looking for now that they weren't looking for before? You know, that's a very good question. And I think uh, from our experience here on Azamara, we do have very experienced cruisers, I call them. So this this guests who we are carrying for on board Azamara ships, they've they done come a, with other expectations. And they've done a lot. So they've done bigger ships. They, they've done smaller ships. They come in here, first of all, for the small ships, but they come in here for destinations as well. Very experienced guests. Okay, so what are they asking for? They're asking for... Well, they're asking for everything at the end of the day, but, you know, we are here to provide them the service. I wouldn't see any difference between bigger ships and smaller ships in regards to the questions, but they may be demanding in regards to more personal approach to, to their experience. I mean, they know, or they think they know, right? We're, we've gone beyond the days of first and second seating. 
those, those days are over, right? And I hope uh, it will cascade to different ships too. I know bigger ships are not um, maybe capable to do the same thing because they are just too large uh, to uh, proceed with the open seatings. But again, open seating this is the way to do it. That's flexibility you're giving to the guests, especially with the destination immersion concept. You definitely give the give the flexibility here. And then on the overnights, they got a chance to to take their time. Well, I'll just give you an example. Uh, you've been to Venice, correct? Yeah. Well, go to Venice during the day and during the evening time. Two different cities. A huge difference. And if you don't spend time in the evening in Venice, you miss out. You have to come back. Well, with us, you don't need to come back because we're staying two nights. I'm coming with you. I love two nights. Totally. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Many of you know who've taken a cruise. Eating and food are a major component part of the cruise experience. And it's gotten so much better over the last five to ten years simply because there's been a food explosion on land. And people are coming on ships with much higher expectations and much much bigger demands for a wider variety of food. Well, that may explain, of course, why there's so many specialty restaurants on cruise ships now, because people are looking for more than just the main dining room or, in the old days, first or second seating. Uh, joining me now, the executive chef on The Pursuit, uh, Monica Ortiz. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? A Mexican-American from Texas. <laughs> Can't go wrong there, right? <laughs> no. Is there Mexican food on board? Um, there, well, we do a few things here and there for lunch, and uh, usually our dinners are themed dinners, so usually around lunchtime we do that. Right, but obviously you've got to cater to everybody's tastes. Correct. So bottom line is, what have you been able to bring to this ship? You've been on these ships now for, what, eight years now? Yes. So how have you seen the food tastes of the passengers change, and then what they're asking you to do? Well, I guess as you mentioned earlier, food has evolved on land, and so we try to... Um, what's special about cruise ships is that we travel all over the world. So we have this Cruise Global Saver Local. So we try to bring local dishes on board. And I think that's what we've, we've really tried to implement within the last couple of years. And of course, so much of travel is storytelling. You can tell the story of the local dishes. Like right, right, right. And how they became what they are. So in one of the ports, I think you and I got to go shopping maybe in, in the fish market and figure out how to cook it. Yes, we can do that. That's It's one of our uh, tours that we offer our guests sometimes, depending on the cruise and if there's a nice market that we could visit uh, we'll take our guests out we'll go shopping but as um, a matter of general uh, practice you do source a lot of stuff locally yes we try to um, we try to promote local items uh, we have several purveyors throughout the world that we are familiar with and so uh, let me markets. guess on, th on this trip will there be a, an abundance of herring Yes, there will be. We have a Baltic uh, seafood buffet a few days from now, and I'm we will have all kinds of uh, salmon and herrings and, uh, different, and different kind of sauces. Norwegian Norwegian sausages. So, oh my God, lots of fun and interesting things. What's your biggest? You know, in the old days, when you talked about, you know, when I would talk to a, a head of, of food for an airline, they would tell me, "Oh my God, we have so many problems because we're at altitude. We can't make a souffle. It won't, you know, it, it'll fall down." Now they can. They figured out the technology that you can even do a souffle at thirty-five thousand feet what are the challenges that you have here that you wouldn't necessarily have on land um, I think our biggest challenge has to be that we cook everything with electric 
everything is electrical here. We don't have an open flame policy. We're not allowed to have open flame in our galley just right. because of safety of purposes. Uh, so that's a, a downfall for us. However, I guess in the past... Because you like cooking with gas. Of course, everybody does. Uh, uh, but the past couple of years, we have this beautiful grill now that's uh, more of a char grill that we have, and that's something that we didn't have in the past. And what does that allow you to do? Um, it allows us to cook and grill meats the way you would at home or as if it was on a um, grill outside. Are you smoking any of your own stuff here? We do have a smoker that we do have. Wow. Uh, that we have the wooden chips as well. So we do have that and we play around with that. And what about, what, what about barbecue? Oh, we do have a outdoor. I mean, come on, we're talking Texas here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we do uh, several barbecues. We'll do some in the afternoon, and then we have a white night buffet where we offer uh, lobster and all kinds of things like that. We grill outside. But, so. but electric, too? No, we have Weber grills. Oh, so the Weber's. We do have charcoal oh, on those days. We make an exception. We have uh, <laughs> fire extinguishers around, and we, we do uh, a few barbecues throughout the cruise. From the meat and potatoes days to where we are today, how many different kinds of cuisine will be served in, on a, like a seven-day cruise? Well, every night we have a theme buffet, so that's a different type of cuisine every evening. But our Discoveries menu, we have a 14-day menu cycle, and you will notice in each menu that we have Mediterranean food, American food. It's a combination of different types of cuisines. You'll see Singapore dishes. So just a little bit of everything. Now, in the old days of cruising, and I'm talking 25 years ago, if you wanted the best meal on, on the ship, you'd go down to the Chinese laundry. And those guys are making their own food down there. And oh my God, the best Asian food ever. Right? Well, we do have a crew galley and we cater to our crew's um, cultures. So we'll have a Filipino dish, an Indian dish. There's rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we do cater to everybody's uh, liking down yeah, every there. Every once in a while, you should ask the passengers to come down to the crew galley. It'd be the best thing they ever did. Oh, we do have passengers that prefer, that that request our Indian food down in the crew galley. because See, the smart guys they know like where to go. The, there the we have several guys that like Indian food. All right, so. last question, which I always ask every chef who's on the show. What's the one item you put on the menu that you thought, wow, everybody's going to love this, and it tanked? And then what's the one item you said, who's going to order this and everybody had to have it? Um, I would have to say on both, it would probably be oysters because we always have our seafood buffet on the first day of the cruise. And I always order about 200 pieces of oysters. And um, they, it depends on the, the crowd. Some, yeah. some guests like fresh oysters, some guests don't. So 200, 250 pieces so for our like, cruise ship like oysters, should be, a, should be been, enough. I've scored. <laughs> right. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money 
and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.